Unbecoming of Age, the podcast. A cautionary tale. Listen to what they say, then do the opposite. Your hosts, Colin Flynn and John M. Craig. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to episode 150 of Unbecoming of Age, the podcast. It's hosted by two guys that have never met in real life. I'm one of those guys. My name is Colin Flynn. I live in Iowa, and my co-host, John M. Craig. Hey, Colin, what's up, yo? Yeah, how you living? I'm living large and in charge, and I'm not, I mean, I've never lived large or in charge. I was overweight for a little while. I mean, I, I just remembered this many years ago. You ever get approached by a homeless person? Uh, I almost, so uh, I'd forgotten about this. I, I'm not sure what the story was exactly, but uh, of course, yeah, I have. But um, in particular, uh, like uh, the night before last, I was at the, the uh, gas station and here in Iowa, as opposed to New Jersey, we pump our own gas. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, so I'm, I'm there and I see this guy and he's he's got something wrong with his legs. Uh, I, you know, some sort of uh, probably something from birth, that, that kind of thing where he's got this weird, you know, kind of uh, gait coming towards me, kind of a side to side sort of thing. Uh, and... Um, I see uh, he's, he's making a beeline for me, and I, I realize that as soon as I see him head in my direction, this is somebody that's looking for money. But uh, he, uh, which is odd at, at, a, at a filling station to have somebody walking up to you expecting some moolah. And uh, he, he, uh, he's got a gas can, though, in his hand. He's got a big, like a five-gallon big gas can with a, uh, the attached spigot thing to it, like the thing you pull off and stick it in your, in whatever it is, and pour, pour gas into it. So it's pretty good size. And he, he walks up and he, um, he says, I'm just trying to get home, man, get any money. And I, I take a look at him and I think, well, okay, he's got something wrong with him. He's carrying a gas can. This is not your normal <laughs> normal approach for one that's trying to get money for uh, for uh, whatever and, uh, you know, drink or drink or drugs or whatever that many, many spend their, their tip money on. Not saying all of them do, but uh, yeah. It's common, but anyway, so I, I just reached in and uh, I gave him, I gave him six bucks, and uh, he took his gas can. Well, yeah, he left the gas can out by the pump. He went in. I think he prepaid, and then he went over. Uh, I didn't see that there was another car there anywhere, so he must have ran out of uh, fuel somewhere down the road. Either that, or this is how he fills up his like his. Uh, his car with gas every day. He lives a couple blocks from this convenience store, and he just walks over and uh, asks people for for gas money every day. I don't know. Either way, uh, I give the, some money. The reason I asked is it popped into my head recently a memory I had uh, from many years ago, an interaction with a homeless guy, and this came out of a young production assistant. Um, it was her very first day ever working on a TV show. Or mm -hmm. a movie, like production, never right. before. And one of the jobs of a PA is, especially a new PA, you'll take the film. So you, they give you like a, you know, like a, a Pelican case with the hard drive. So it's not actually, there may be some films that are, are still shot on film, but it's rare. So you have all the work for the day, but presumably there are backups on the camera truck. And, you know, so then you've got to take it to the film lab, which is actually some post-production facility that will upload them to secure servers, back them up, send them to LA for editing. Etc. So she gets in my van. It's the first time we're just so I drive I drive her over and we're just chatting about different different things. I asked her, you know, oh, how long have you been doing this? She's like, this is my first day. And I'm like, don't ever tell a theatrical teamster it's your first day. Don't ever <laughs> like it is your first day you have. Don't tell anyone else because what they'll do is they will fuck with you. Like they will totally mess 
because it's fun and funny to them. And we're children, a lot of us. We have a lot of time on our hands. We're fairly well compensated and uh, just like pushing people's buttons. So anyway, so she and I were chatting. I don't know how this came up, but she mentioned, and this girl this girl is young. She's 21 years old. Um, so, you know, she, she, to me, she looks the same age as, as our kids, right? Kylie's 15, Cameron's 17, you know, I mean, they're baby. But mm-hmm. she said, so her dad is presumably around our age somewhere, you know, you know, you know, more than, more than 45, probably less than 70. Yeah. And apparently he has like white, white silver hair. And she was telling a story how they were in New York City and a homeless guy walked up to him and he's like, Yo, Silver Fox, can you help me out? And the, and her dad, who doesn't live in New York City, gave that guy a 20, right? Like, so now he kind of, now that dad hangs his hat on being a Silver Fox. Like, so some dude just walked up, hey, Silver Fox, now and be like, oh, shit, yeah, I am kind of a Silver Fox, right? <laughs> now, and then that reminded me of many years ago. I was in my late 20s, I think. And, you know, I'm five foot seven. I never knew that I was short. You know, I never, I always knew I wasn't tall, but I never felt short, but I'm not a big, tall guy. And my weight has fluctuated between probably, you know, on the 155 to the most it ever got was like 200 just before I had my stroke. But I was always able to hide my weight, right? You know, I might have had some bitch tits at one point, but like for the most part, I knew how to. And there was a homeless guy was on the street and he looks up to me and he's like, what's up, big guy? Can you help me out? And I was like, big guy? I'm not that big. Like, why'd you call me a big guy? And I walked away. I don't think I gave that guy money. I walked away. And for weeks, I'm like, am I fat? Like a homeless guy just called me big guy, and I'm concerned that I am I'm I need to lose weight. You thought it was a reference <laughs> and, to you having to lose weight. Yeah. Right, right. I'm like, well, otherwise. And then and then uh, this PA, she said, yeah, but sometimes maybe that's just the way some people say that. You know, they say, hey, boss, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, big yeah. guy, right? right? Like the big may not be a literal big. Like I think I overthought it. Yeah, what's yeah. going on? I, 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 there's a guy uh, that I uh, used to work with that um, he had a – like three or four of those things that he used a lot. He would say big guy. Um, and he would also say, um, he'd say chief a lot. He'd say, Hey, what's, what's up chief. And, uh, Oh yeah. Chief's a good one. Yeah. He, he was also a very, uh, he was a very liberal guy and liked to like to, you know, he was a progressive dude and wanted to be on the bleeding edge. I, I thought always of, uh, SJW stuff. And, uh, he, um, uh, yeah, one, one time at the chief thing after he said it, I was just fucking with him, and I said, "I said, isn't that kind of racially insensitive?" And he's like, mm-hmm. looks at me. He looks at me. He goes, "He goes, oh, I didn't mean anything by that." He goes, "I, I was in the navy, and we, we, if somebody in the navy is chief, that just means they're they're like the, the boss." And and uh, yeah. I, I didn't mean anything by it. I didn't mean anything by it. And uh, I after that, uh, I saw him uh, uh, his facial expressions a few times when he would go. He would call somebody chief, and then I would see him kind of fa- face. He had like a little tick thing, a tell. Like he was like, oh, "I wish I wouldn't have said that. Why did I say chief?" <laughs> but he couldn't stop himself. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, anyway, that's my that's um, that shows how warped my personality is. I want to want to passive aggressively fuck with somebody's head in a way that uh, I caused them angst. Pain and grief for years no, to come. I, I have, uh, 
I think I've witnessed that it's not always passive aggressively. <laughs> I think there are times where you go right into the eye of the storm, and there's right no mentioning the... words. You might still have an out, but nah, you don't do that. Just... I, I work with a guy. He's uh, he's also a theatrical teamster. He's uh, been doing this a lot longer than I have. He's only a few years older than me. Guy's really fucking smart, right? Like fucking Oxford educated, stu- like too smart, right? But he's still a child. He's still a fucking. I, I think I told you where he. He thought I did. I tell you the story where he, uh, we were down in Chinatown, and he took the aerial, you know, the antenna, the radio antenna, off the, you know, on the passenger side. He unscrewed it. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you did. I yeah. told you right, right. And, yeah. and he's taking an air, and then it was like, oops. And then a Chinese guy got in the van, and he, it wasn't my van. So I still have that, you know, and I'm gonna hold that till the day I die until I find the guy that he took it from. Um. So anyway, so that guy, he, he's on the job. He's been there for since the beginning he's there all the time and there's a whole thing with al pacino <laughs> and he will literally he's got a big smile on his face he was an educator he's a principal he <laughs> he will go and just earnestly walk up to pacino or when pacino walks by he go like hello mr pacino and he calls him he, <laughs> he he i haven't seen it yet but if he sees it and I he says that. he says it and he says mr pacino and i swear, <laughs> God, I, swear God, I there are times when i see this guy brian coming i will i start laughing before he says anything cuz i'm just i know he's going to do or say something and he does this thing on the street too with complete strangers like he just you can feel it you can just feel it as they're coming up on us and he'll just very earnestly have a big smile like hello how are you <laughs> it's just like He's not being a dick, but it's just, it's funny every single time to me. Like, but it's also exhausting. And I'm like, I got to get out of the line of fire. Like, I don't want to be part of this. <laughs> so, that, that's good. I, I mean, it's it's the best part of the day for me. And I know that it's real slippery stuff because he's real smart, but I do get along with a guy. And he, he, you know, he's the one that started the, I think I told you, I had, he was telling other guys that I have an agenda. <laughs> Did I tell you this? And then so no. now now there are these other teams. And I'm like, that's, Brian, that's really funny. That's really funny. Until there's the one guy that really believes that I do. So then I started telling people, hey, you know, I just want to let you know I have an agenda. I'll tell, like, production people. I'll tell people in other departments. I just want to let you. You're probably going to hear this. I have an agenda. I said, can you make sure make sure that it gets back to these Teamsters that I have an agenda? And you heard it. You heard it from around. So, so I will contribute so to it. wide open, though. That could be any an agenda. Of course. Like, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but it's, it's one of those things where I already look like an outsider or in the union who's that guy whatever but I mean I'm not saying anyone's paying attention to me but it's like a game so there's this other dude Armand and he, he drives um Mr. Pacino and so <laughs> he's this real charismatic fun funny guy he he uh, he continues it now and he does it he'll say to guys that aren't even on our job and run into him if we're like because when we're at Steiner uh, when we're at the stages there are other jobs going on so I'll be like you know JC you know he's got an agenda and then, so what I've been saying, so what I said to Armand is I said, um, how, when he says, how's your agenda? A couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm working on my manifesto. So now he starts asking me about my manifesto. And then I'm like, I think I made a mistake here. I think it's a big leap to go, I'm a procrastinator, to go from like having an agenda to a manifesto. I was like, I don't know. I've never write that. You gotta write that yeah. shit. So I asked, I asked Brian, who went to Oxford. I'm like, Hey, man, you went to Oxford. Can you be my manifesto ghostwriter? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, what's it gonna be about? Let's do this thing. But uh, it's you, you, yeah, you, you yeah. could because my yeah. wife is is uh, involved with this kind of stuff. I, I am I am guessing uh, that uh, in fact I would bet good money on it that there are actually. <laughs> 
as ridiculous as this sounds, there are people that are out on sites, the, these, these sites where you can hire writers, who are trying to get their manifesto written, and they're, they're, uh, but they're hiring somebody to do it. Because my wife has written all sorts of things that uh, you would think would uh, – you wouldn't a writer wouldn't be involved in including she's she's done a lot of college uh, college papers coursework for a little you know I, I want to say a little spoiled rich kids but probably uh, you know trust fund kids that are trying to get through school and don't want to write the fucking paper you know they, they like can you do you know can you do my uh, she did like master stuff for a guy recently and uh, yeah this guy didn't know shit about what he was what he was turning in for the paper well he probably read it and you know. did the Unabomber have a manifesto. He did, and uh, it was uh, his undoing, I believe, because he he uh, had mm -hmm. some weird, uh, weird Ted Kaczynski, turns, turns, yeah, some weird industrial society of, and its yeah. future. Yeah, yeah. So when did he? I wonder when he wrote that though. Oh, it says originally published in 1995, and when was he bombing? God, I don't even know. Uh, you know, that was his eighties was when, when he was doing his bombing. I, yeah, I'm not really sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, that that police sketch of him looks so different than the guy that they brought in. You know, his beard was bigger. It was a whole different guy because he had that like those eighties sunglasses and hoodie on. Yeah, and he was, yeah. And he was clearly younger in those in that uh, police sketch. Mm -hmm. But uh, oh man, there's a Unabomber for president T-shirt. Um, so it's it's just he's an American mathematician. You got to be real careful with these these geniuses. <laughs> you, you know, it's a fine line between yeah. mathematicians and engineers. You know, but it, like to me, manifesto, even though it's not necessarily negative, it's just like this public statement of this thing. I mean, for politicians, for certain people, but it seems like there's some manifestos that maybe go scary, and I, I kind of always think of it that way. As you were saying this, I a couple of the oddest people I know uh, in, that I've, I've met in real life, uh, both were like genius mathematicians, and they both had uh, some fairly significant uh, issues uh, with, the, with the rest of the world, as I think about it. One of them ended up going to... Uh, he was uh, he went and was in the think tank at uh, IBM for a, a period of time, and uh, he uh, you know thought the, like the highest level of what was going on at IBM, and uh, he ended up just basically uh, the pressure was like uh, I don't know I think got to him or whatever, and he, he ended up uh, he disappeared, and uh, his family couldn't find him. He just basically walked out of his apartment and left. Uh, pretty much everything i think he took cash with him and it was untraceable for a while and uh they were all you know calling everybody they could think of you know have you seen him and he ended up going out i think it was in pennsylvania somewhere there's some sort of a monastery that raises a a certain type of german shepherd that that's the only place where you can get this this breed of german shepherd and he went out there and stayed there for like a year and didn't talk to anybody when once they finally figured out where he's at they knew where he was finally but he had put himself into this cloistered complete silence uh, i'm only talking to the monks thing to get his shit together and then when he came back out instead of being a genius level guy trying to figure out the highest you know issues with uh, you know computer science or whatever it is that he was doing i don't know who knows um but uh he ended up being a librarian <laughs> <laughs> i was like okay that's it's a different deal but and i have this other guy that i worked with uh who was a mathematician um we called him the professor he was um 
he uh god this guy he he would do he would sit there and do kind of like um a beautiful mind the 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 when they at the end of that movie where they found he had the crazy stuff all over his wall with all the you know the computations and uh yeah the guy was just uh you know he he lost it in the movie but you know he was he was so obsessed with with uh figuring out uh you know every sort of uh thing that he possibly could mathematically i think is kind of i guess the gist of a lot of what started him spinning in a weird direction the character and that thing but uh, anyway this this guy the professor he would always have math problems uh something that was like uh have you ever seen the tv commercial where there's the professor is in front of the big board and he's trying to solve something this big equation and right yeah yeah the, the glass i totally know yeah yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah russell crowe with the whole yep 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 yeah yeah so the guy erases the thing in the tv commercial well he had a mini version of that always in his pocket he would pull out a piece of paper as you were talking to him sometimes and you would see this equation that would filled up the whole piece of paper as he unfolded it and uh, he would look at it and he'd you know like rub his chin a little bit and he'd look at it and then he'd write on it a little bit and then he could laugh to himself <laughs> like all right i got a little further <laughs> and then he would fold it all back up neatly and put it back in his pocket and he would be like <laughs> like this uh and uh he uh the other thing that he did um constantly was uh he at work we had a bus stop outside of work he would uh at lunch hour a lot of times he would go down to the bus stop in a hurry and he would go to the bus stop and get on the bus, the next bus that came by, and he'd be gone for like half an hour. And he would always come back with two gallons, two gallon bottles of milk. And he would walk back into work with these gallon bottles of milk and he would put them in the freezer or the refrigerator at work, you know, the shared refrigerator in the, in the kitchen area. He would put them in there and never, ever touch them again. And, and they were cleaning out the refrigerator. You know, yeah, they'd send out these, you know, occasionally they'd send out this thing. Hey, if you got stuff in the refrigerator, you know, we're going to clean it out. You need to get it out of there if it's, if it's you know, or, or put your name on it or make some kind of a note because uh, we're going to throw everything away. Uh, the person that kind of kind of was always the one that was bird dogging that, that, that thing that we did, uh, she just knew that, okay, after a couple of weeks, I'm going to throw his milk away. I'm going to throw, throw the professor's milk away because it's not going anywhere. He's just going to leave it. And uh, he was just obsessed with this shit. So. The, the professor's milk sounds like a book. It, uh, I don't. Yes. <laughs> I might. I might read that book. I, yes. I want to know what it's about. You know. Could, and they go, could, okay. Could be a book. A rock band, maybe. The Professor's yeah. Milk. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm a little groggy. I did see a rock band last night. I was uh, went to uh, the. Uh, I've talked about this on here a lot, but the Codfish Hollow place and saw Connor Oberst, who is. Oh the, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, so Connor Oberst is he kind of in that Mac DeMarco, Kurt Vile vibe, or not really? Sort of ish. Because I kind of know who he is. But. Yeah. Well, he was the Bright Eyes guy, uh, and uh, it, a lot of people were. Familiar with bright eyes the band yeah yeah like where it was it, but it was mainly him it was his project yeah it was mainly him yeah yeah he wrote all all the songs did, did wait did bright eyes have a song did you have a song about uh about george w bush oh, probably um because they were like last night he, he he said at the beginning he said uh, we're kind of stoked because uh he said we've figured out recently that um that because uh, REM has officially announced, and I didn't know that they had officially announced this, but apparently they did, that they are uh, no longer going to do anything anywhere ever. Who? Again. This is REM? Uh, REM, yeah. He said now, because REM announced that, we are officially, he said, the uh, longest existing 
college band in in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in existence even though they weren't performing as bright eyes they were it was kind of overst but for the most part the stuff they did last night was was a lot a lot of uh, i would say three fourths or more of what they did was bright eyes mm-hmm. stuff oh yeah yeah i yeah in 2005 there was a when the president talks to god and there was an illustration of george w bush with a halo he's like doing a press conference and it's just like a light blue like sky blue background Mm -hmm. and then he's got a yellow tie and a yellow halo and everything else is white yeah sounds sounds yeah yeah and i remember that album and i think it was so weird that apple when apple itunes was a thing before streaming Mm -hmm. i think i downloaded a free song from that album yeah it's or maybe that was the song that i did maybe some of it's uh, the bright eye stuff is fairly morose, you know. Um, but um, he he could have real like I was listening to him last night, and I was thinking he could have very easily. He's got the vocal style where he could have he could have really gone full on uh, emo because he's got that vocal style where he could have done that little affectation the, the way a lot of emo um, vocalists made their. Um, their voice sound a lot of these guys that had this kind of whiny sort of sing-songy um thing that they did when they were screaming their misogynistic lyrics and emo music <laughs> uh why did she leave me all alone yes uh it's because you're a douchebag but um anyway no um it was a good show it was it was uh it was it was enjoyable so he he i saw some pictures on your instagram um and uh that venue is pretty it looks pretty awesome it really is yeah i was um, talking to a guy mm-hmm. last night that um as as out in the middle of fucking nowhere that place is and uh I, there was a guy i talked to last night from cleveland ohio who who drove there for the show he and he was about i would guess um 50 ish and pushing 50 uh and um you know, certainly late 40s but uh he uh yeah he and his wife had had made the drive out there and he he was just a real music nut and he was a great guy it was having a nice conversation with him but uh yeah came all the way out there based on i guess you know the way the place looks it's it's just this big big barn in the middle of nowhere that uh they and, and do, um what what uh what 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 how many people what's the capacity that's the word i'm looking for what's the capacity I, i'm thinking they like probably two about two thousand no it's not that many i'm thinking it's probably four or five hundred maybe six really six hundred maybe i don't know exactly it's hard to gauge because uh a lot of there's a big outdoor area that um some people like last night was really warm uh and uh a lot of people do just n- stay outside and listen because there's really good acoustics in this sort mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. little valley that this place is in and if you, there's a hillside where a lot of people just kind of sit out on the hillside do the thing out there and just choose to stay in the in the breeze i guess if you will but uh uh yeah i'm, I'm thinking maybe 600 ish something like that it's, it's not that huge um but uh yeah they i and they've gotten some big acts you know they got like counting crows a few times and some stuff like that so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um but the last night um Connor Oberst was saying this is, you know, one of the most unique places we play. He said because the family, the farm family that, that owns this place, um, they open up their home uh, literally to uh, the bands. Uh, generally, just uh, they park their tour bus by the facility, and I'm not sure exactly how close the farmhouse is to this place, but it's fairly, fairly close. And they um, give the uh, they, they give the band a golf cart to drive around 
before the show. And so the band is, and then they, they say, if you want to take a shower, you want to do mm-hmm. blah, 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 that sort of stuff, you know, you mm-hmm. come, our home is your home. And so they just open up their house and the people hang out. Mm-hmm, and, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And he said, it was so strange, but he said, because he said, we, uh, we do the, you know, do the deal. We're up at the farm and they've got kittens and they've got goats and they've got frogs. And he was, you know, he, he's from Omaha. So it's not like he's, you know, completely, uh, you know, he's a Midwestern guy. So it's not like he's never seen this stuff, but, um, he, he, you know, he was just remarking on remark about how unique that was that, you know, these people would do that and how cool that was. And he said, we got done. He goes, we got on the golf cart and we went back down to, uh, to do our sound check and uh, we're doing the sound check in the barn and he said and the big barn doors are open and he says this pack of dogs just comes wandering hmm. into the into the barn he said and they've got like four or five dogs that, that are out there wandering around there and they're big you know they're not like little dogs they're, they're good size good size mutts and uh he said these dogs just all come cruising in all at once this pack of dogs comes in he goes and they um these there's like a steps on both sides of the stage he said the one dog he said he just comes up up the steps, over to the stage, lays down by my feet, looks up, looks up at me. He said, "We're we're trying to do this." He said, "But it was totally cool." So yeah, they were they were pretty impressed with the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I saw. I was just looking at your Instagram uh, and account, and I saw your story. Yeah, I put a bunch and, of them on the story. And and it was in your story. You have a thing that's literally the silo with a picture of the tour bus and the, and a golf cart in front of the tour bus yeah which yeah. was which you posted um 11 hours ago which would have been nighttime but uh what time what time did the concert start uh there's some sort of uh, woman that uh sang which we really we didn't go in and watch we uh, because they have a bunch of food trucks and stuff outside and we're not doing that stuff but uh he's i think he got on stage at about 9 30. okay so so but you still got to the venue in daylight yeah yeah we got is there other are there other things to do on the grounds is that the deal like yeah yeah they've got uh food trucks and they uh Mm. the way um an iowa milking barn in this part of iowa where it's a very hilly sort of uh spot where that where this farm is located the the barn is built into the side of a hill and the the way it was designed is the um under part of the barn which is if you think of like a like a home with a walk-in basement it's sort of sort of arranged like that into the you know built into the side of a, a, a slope and the bottom part though which you know like would be the the basement of a house sort of thing uh, anyway the bottom part of the barn that was where they milked cows you know years ago and so there's there's that that area and then the top part this this uh rounded top barn where you where the venue is that would have been where they put all the hay and so the hay would have been in there for the to feed the cow all year round and they just drop it down in through some sort of a, a trap door type thing into the bottom part for for the cows um so uh and they haven't had uh, you know it hasn't been a, a, a you know milking operation a cow milking operation in many many years but uh and so they just decided at some point we can't make money milking cows. Let's uh, let's start doing some shows. And apparently the people that run this farm are just huge music nuts, and they've they very eclectic music nuts too because they get a wide variety of shows there. They get everything from you know hip hop to death metal to um, just you know they, there's a lot of this stuff is kind of indie pop, you know, sort of uh, or indie you know kind of thing, but. Um, they get all all sorts of stuff um 
so uh yeah they just turned into this thing but uh, outside on the and underneath where this area i described um that's open completely open to on one side when you come around and they've they've got a bunch of people in there with little selling all sorts of things little little shops and things set up under there and they've got there's a a bar there where you can go in and buy alcohol uh and then there's several f food trucks around and they've got a lot of artists and stuff there was a tarot card reader there um and then <laughs> during the show i thought it was strange because uh, he, he was he was out walking around before the show just cruising around through the crowd i didn't i didn't recognize him because i i did, haven't really looked at pictures of the guy that much to really know you know what he looks like necessarily but he was wearing these very distinctive uh you know just bib overall things with with a, with a white t-shirt underneath which you can see if you look at twitter you can see the picture of what he was wearing but he was out wandering around and he i saw him over by this area where they had this there's there was a tarot card reader uh, and uh during the show he made it a point to um sort of uh call out tarot as <laughs> he was like eh, you know he's like, he was like you know if you want to believe in it that's cool you know i guess that's all right yeah, yeah but he yeah. but he was like but yeah it's kind of bullshit <laughs> the direction i'm going to go the tarot shit i don't want to like harsh their mill and get in the way of their pocketbook but uh yeah. bullshit <laughs> that's kind I, of like, on, I only believe in the ouija board i only yeah, believe yeah. that's the only look there's the one thing mystic Ouija board. But yeah, he seems, I can't get a read on him. I mean, even looking at the pictures of him, because I never knew what he looked like. I've heard him before as Counter Oberst, and I've heard that Bright Eyes song. And you have pictures of him. He's wearing a t shirt and overalls. Yeah. And his hair is a little bit long and straggly, like like just shoulder length ish. Yeah. And I was just looking at pictures of him in when he was younger and in Bright Eyes and other projects, and it looks like that whole emo thing you said, mm -hmm. he looked a lot more emo, his hairstyle. Yeah. He's only yeah. thirty nine, but in these pictures now he looks so much older than he did you know, fifteen years obviously. But I mean like like almost like a different guy. Yep, yep. And I'm not saying he is. I don't know what he if he's just sporting the look, if he wore the overalls because he was playing a barn and it seemed like the right thing to do. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he he's from the, Omaha, Nebraska, though. So he I had mean, the overalls before he got there. So let's <laughs> see. I don't know. Who knows? But uh, yeah, he, he was just walking around and, and nobody else knew who he was either. So I was thinking about that. I thought, God, he was walking around. It's like that. Oh, that was weird. You know, no, nobody. It, in the whole crowd said, Hey, there's Connor Oberst, what up? You know, or whatever. Mm -hmm, you know? But mm -hmm. it completely left him alone because they didn't know who the fuck he was. <laughs> was it a young crowd? A big crowd? Like what it was sold out for whatever they whatever they call sellout. Um it was yeah, it was full. And um, you know, as far as the age, I would guess um um average age at that show is probably thirty five, uh somewhere in that thirty five to forty range. I'll probably a lot of the people that uh you know that was a college thing, the, the right, bright eyes right. thing, and and, mm -hmm. and that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. He was a, a good uh, a good project. He was when it was that monsters of folk thing. If you ever get a chance uh, to listen to any of that, that's uh, quite quite good. Um, that's probably uh, the favorite stuff I've heard him doing. But that's more of that. Monsters of folk was. I don't remember who all was in that uh, that project, but. Um, um, they had the one guy from My Morning Jacket uh, uh, was in that, and it was kind of a super group of uh, of uh, I don't know super folk group, super group of folkies of uh, current modern folkies, uh, and uh, that was a, that was a good project. So uh, yeah, good, well worth it. I'm going. We're going back next Saturday. We're going to go see Dawes, the band Dawes, mm -hmm. and uh, 
they're doing two nights. They've got a Friday show and a Saturday show. We're going Saturday. And uh, they're sold out both nights. So, And then I'm going to give it a rest for a while. I'm not going back there for a while. Are you going to take a break from music? Not from music, just from going to that venue. We've that that venue? Yeah, we've been out there enough that I'm... How like, far away is it again? It's about an hour drive from where we okay. live. And, right. so, and it's a real, real scenic sort of drive. It's, it's, right. it's, yeah, it's fun. It was just you and Rachel? Yeah, yeah. And then we went by that county fair, took pictures of that, which was going on in, yeah, it seemed like... In yeah, the middle, I saw that. That seemed pretty cool, too. It was cool with the lights and all that stuff, going by there like at midnight, and it's like they still had stuff lit up. So I was just, that was like out the window, you know, taking one of those. I got, um, I did get the uh, iPhone 10, and uh, they take much better pictures than the previous versions of, uh, of iPhones. Um, right, right. R- remarkably better, so... Um, when they come out with this new 11 thing with the triple optics that they're showing, it looks ugly as fuck. The pictures I'm seeing with the with the 11 because it's going to have the little three three lenses on it. Um, there's, you're going to have a macro lens and some other stuff, I guess, that are separate, and you don't have to. You, you, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but because um, I'm not, you, you're the photographer. I don't, but um, I, I haven't messed with it much to understand. I'm sure there's some th- ways to take uh, some pretty awesome pictures with the, the even the one that I've got. But I think the new one is going to be uh, something that makes people uh, pay attention to the to the photos more. But uh, anyway, it takes much better pictures. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wish I knew more about it, but. Well, I mean, you know, the key to t- I, so I, I have not used. Uh, anything above um the iphone 7 so the the 8 or the 10 i mean maybe someone's handed me their their camera and i've i mean their phone and i've taken a picture with the camera and with the native camera i haven't you know because i have other camera apps on my phone that give you more control yeah is yeah. that i mean to the to me the, the the key with the iphone obviously and holding it steady is to put your finger on the screen to find mm-hmm. focus yeah and and to like if the sky's blowing out you want to adjust it and then even slide like the brightness down a little bit and then take it in. I wish it had, it shoots raw fo- files that have more information, uh-huh. but it would fill up the phone pretty quickly. You know, it, it's gotten to the point where I, I took some, I don't even take fi- pictures as much as I want to. Like we, so we, we shoot at a place over by the Brooklyn Navy Yard in, in, in Brooklyn. And, uh, we have, there's this building and it used, to be you know there are these piers down there the fire department has a pier and so we'll sometimes shoot in that area and there's a building where our stages are that have these two um like i don't know they're like uh look like big antennas like these almost like mini eiffel tower looking things and they're Mm -hmm. lit up purple and last um not this past friday night but the one before that we were shooting until about four five in the morning three four in the morning and and i was shuttling the crew back and forth from our stage to the location it was a short trip, but it's late at night. It's hot. It's like whatever. And it was, not, if not a full moon, it was damn near close. And the moon was like perfectly placed between these two structures, lit purple. There was like a telephone wire or some kind of wire between them. And I was like, damn it. And I didn't stop and take the photograph. So last night I was in the same spot. The moon was a quarter moon, but I, I don't think, I didn't remember what time it was. I, I couldn't even see the moon because it was a little overcast. So I missed that photo, but I did take out my camera, a long lens, and there were views of the Manhattan skyline from there that are kind of unique, right? Because you can't just get into this area. You kind of have to work down there or know it exists. And that's one thing that's great about New York is you've got the skyline, but there are so many perspectives that you don't see. Mm-hmm. You see the typical skyline. 
from right. New Jersey or from Queens looking at a Manhattan, you know. And so, so again, but I'm not feeling taking pictures even on my phone. It's just because it's too much. Like I just need to take a break from there. We have too many of them. You know, it's like they're just too, too, too many, many photos in the world. Like I'm like, I, I open up Instagram and I look at everyone's account and photos and I go through their stories and I'm like, oh God, enough with these fucking pictures. Yeah. Just stop. I still though, you know, it's, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a little respite in the day that I, that I enjoy seeing the pictures uh, just because I, you know, I like, you know, social media, you know, Twitter is very caustic and many times uh, I heard somebody describe it and I retweeted this sort of this week that Twitter is, it's like uh, people are sitting in, the, in a toilet stall writing uh, negative things on the wall and then walking out of the room, leaving the stink of, of them, of themselves behind them. And that's... <laughs> kind of what twitter is all about a lot of times uh it, it can be very negative if you let it and uh, it's hard not to let it be that way sometimes and then facebook is completely uh, caustic i think with the you know, people you know, all this political bullshit that people want to post and and everybody wants to give you their opinion about all that crap and the thing i generally like about instagram is that it's just pictures and for the most part people don't post all that uh, political hoo-ha and there's not a lot of opinionated bullshit and sometimes but you know for the most part it's it's much less preachy it's much much less um, you know, people trying to, uh, not that there's not virtue signaling there, there always is, uh, you know, um, the, the, just by nature, I think anything you post almost is, is virtue signaling to some degree, but, um, there's less of it. It seems like there's the, and I'm surprised, um, oh, okay. I was looking at the figures for, for social media the other day and I was surprised to see, uh, um, a, a couple of things. Uh, one was that, um, Instagram um, is uh, outpacing with with uh, millennials. Instagram outpaces uh, all the rest um, by even uh, Snapchat by a pretty good margin, um, and I think that's because there's more more users. But that's with millennials too, which to, to me it was kind of a surprise a little bit because I think a lot of them surreptitiously use it you know from a parental angle you know i'm looking at it going you know what are the kids doing they they like stuff a lot that i post uh, you know kids even the kids friends and, and things like that um but i know that they're doing things that i'm not aware of that i can't see because they you know they got their their uh, hidden account stuff that they that they mess with and a lot of them um look but don't post they they use it as a messaging sort of thing i think uh so it's it's a strange one, but uh, I don't know. I think Instagrams is it's the future, man. I think it's. it's <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't think that anything is the future. I mean, I mean, like, I, like, I mean, there's something is the future, but I don't know that anything that exists today. Like, I, I was I was talking to someone earlier today about this kind of stuff and like where we're at and sort of. I can't remember the specific thing that came out, and I'm like, you've got like I, you could kind of point to certain things in our culture over the last, let's say. 10, 11 years, like when did things shift and change, right? You could do like instead of an AC, like before Christ, after Christ, whatever, BCAC, you can do like a, a before Trump, after Trump, right? You can do a BT, AT, right? And like how that is, but you can do the same thing with Kardashians, right? A before Kardashian, before the same thing, you can do it with Kanye. You can do it like, and it's like the different, you can take either a specific event. And I'm not talking about like significant events, something like 9-11 and like, yeah, okay, the world changed. I'm talking about like insignificant nonsense, how the culture has shifted, right? Mm -hmm. You've got like a before Netflix and after Netflix, right? right? And it's not like that timeline isn't exact, you know, like before Blockbuster, after Blockbuster, like what happens? Like when a, like, 
you know, like the car companies kind of bounced back, the banks have bounced back, but then you have these really insignificant things. Like, did you ever see the movie I'm Still Here? With um, it's directed by um, uh, Corey Affleck. It's not Corey really Affleck. Not really so, uh, so okay. So, uh, jo- Joaquin Phoenix uh, and Corey Affleck are are brother-in-laws. So, or they were. Uh, Corey Affleck was married to. He may still be married to um, the Joaquin Phoenix's sister, younger sister, and. He directed this film. Remember when? Um, when? Okay, I just I googled Joaquin it. I, Phoenix. I, yeah. Remember when he was? Remember when he was on Letterman? Yes. And he was chewing the gum, and it was a whole he thing, and he and he beard. had that big crazy hipster beard and the scraggly hair, hair and he's wearing sunglasses. that suit and sunglasses, and he's just sort of and like you have to keep in mind that was two thousand and seven, I think, or eight. I don't remember exactly. So, and he also was at. There was one point that he was down in a Miami nightclub. And he got on stage and he was rapping and he got yeah, into a fight yeah. and it was this thing. And it's before everything went viral, before this thing. I think it was before world star hip hop was a thing and like all these things. Like all you have to do, like you or my, myself or, or anyone our age that may do a little bit of social media, but we don't do Snapchat. Just look on Snapchat and look at all these things. And it's like, I've never heard of that. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. Right. You know? And you're like, okay. And this is a thing. And people get information from these things. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, you like okay. So he, so that movie was, and that was, I think, the thing that got me thinking about this is that movie was in two thousand eight. And so, basically, a spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't know, and I don't give a fuck, is that I kind of saw this going on, and I knew this is a this isn't real. This is a fucking joke. He is fucking around. It's fucking. He's too smart. He's too talented mm-hmm. an actor. Like he's basically doing social commentary, and it's fucking nuts. And he's doing it right before our eyes, and he's fucking playing with the idea of celebrity and all of it. And and sure enough. And supposedly Letterman didn't know that he was doing that. It was just one of those moments. Remember when Crispin Glover was on Letterman, the early version of Letterman? He's wearing these. It's so brilliant. If if you don't know about this, just Google Crispin Glover, who played the dad in um in Back to the Future. Yeah. Right? Skinny. He's in the movie River's Edge. Intense dude. He's an artist. He's a talented guy. He... He was wearing these crazy ass bell bottom, like, um, you know, uh, bell bottoms that were striped. And he told Letterman, he was just, he's, he's kind of manic. And he's like, I, I, Dave, I, I can kick, I can kick high. And he does this roundhouse kick <laughs> over Letterman's desk. And Letterman is brilliantly funny. And it's like, and even when I was young, whenever that was in like 85, 14, when I was 14, whatever, I was fucking, that's great. That's fucking amazing. Like, but I don't think Letterman was in on that. I think that he just let it get away from him. Letterman was in on all the Andy Kaufman wrestling shit. Like yes. when, when Andy Kaufman came in, Letterman has talked about this. Jerry Lawler, the wrestler, and Andy Kaufman. If you see the movie Man on the Moon, you'll see it. But the, the the stuff exists on YouTube as well. The original stuff, where basically Andy Kaufman's wearing a neck brace, and then Jerry Lawler he throws coffee in Jerry, or it might have been water from a coffee cup in Jerry Lawler's face, and Jerry Lawler smacks him. Yes. Now, yeah, it, that was well acted. By the it way, it was so good, in, so fucking in, good. If you look at it now, when I when I heard Letterman say that yes, he knew about that ahead of time, uh, they they discussed what was gonna what was gonna go on um, yeah. from all all everybody, including Letterman. If you look at back because I did, I went back and looked at it after after you know right. the, the you know we, you and I had even talked about it. I thought I'm gonna go back and find this on YouTube. I looked at it and I was like, all of them look like that was real. They, oh, for they, sure, for sure. 
It is, it, it, there's nothing about it that seemed fake. It seemed like like they both, whether or not they rehearsed it, no matter. And I think maybe for to some degree that Kaufman loved the and saw the theatrics of wrestling and this whole make believe, these fighting, and like some of these guys were really good. And we lived in a different time, and people didn't know that any of that was staged or faked. With that, you know, these guys are drinking buddies and go out, whatever. It's like a, it's great. You know, you have a heel, you have the good guy, and you have the heel, and and then it started to grow and change in the kind of 80s and 90s where you would have a guy flip, right? Which is probably good for these guys because you're like, all right, everybody loves me all this. You know what? It's a lot more interesting to play the bad guy. Like, I want to play the bad guy now, you know? And so so anyway, so when, when what's his name? Joaquin Phoenix was doing this thing. I'm like, wow, he's doing it on Letterman. That's great. We were still at a time where you didn't have just the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, but you had Letterman and Leno, whatever. And, and when I watched that movie, I was so disappointed when it came out that they let everyone off the hook. Their publicist must have had a panic attack and go like, oh my God, it's never going to work again, never going to work again. Mm -hmm. So you see this movie and it looks like a fucking actor who with ex excess, coke, drinking, just, just dismissing everything, like just losing his mind. And that's not, as far as I'm concerned, that's not what it was at all. It was just a really good idea, mock documentary with a real guy you know, very Andy Kaufman-esque. But I think, again, I think it was more about the social commentary of where we're going. And if you look at where we are now, holy shit, have we gone off the rails. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's, you can't yes. even tell the difference between real, like, news articles and an Onion article anymore. No, like, you, it's like the Onion's yeah. almost not funny because there are too many of these stories that you have to look like a, a, a Trump president, President Trump yes. tweet. I have to go to his account and read it for myself to see whether or not it's real. Yeah, exactly. You can't parody. How do you parody that thing? It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I, a lot of times I'll look to see if it says satire somewhere, if there's something because I'm like that. Oh, I look real. for satire yeah. all the time. It yeah. boggles my mind the number of people I try to avoid Facebook that will post these things as if it's a real story, whatever, and it's a satirical piece, but it feeds into their belief system about whatever it is. Oh, yeah. these re these socialist Democrats are crazy, or these extreme Republicans and conservatives are crazy. Well, yeah, sure they are. That's why I can't watch that Sasha Baron Cohen show with the politicians <laughs> right. where the guy is like... Right pulling down his pants, running in circles, and yelling the N-word. I'm like, well, what's the scenario where you have cameras on you and you, you – why would you do that? That is so bizarre. There's it so is. much wrong with that. You're an elected official? Like, <laughs> what? Like, how do you – okay, I get it. You may never have heard of Sasha Baron Cohen. You may never. But this is like a six-foot-four Israeli guy with a literal squared jaw, and it's like – and he's over the top. I mean, he was talking – he interviewed fucking Dick Cheney about war and making – and, and, oh, my God, you're on camera. This is not a friend of yours. This is a bizarre – Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I watched a couple of things – and it's nuts. Like there was a guy, I don't even know what his job was, where where he's doing like a, a a thing, like teaching children how to responsibly use guns. And he puts like a puppy puppet on the gun. And this fucking old guy is like doing it with the puppy and feeding him lines. And he's doing them like, what the fuck? Even if you don't think it's a joke, the reasonable person would go like, and uh, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I'm not a square. But this is fucking nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like yeah. if Funny or Die came to you and said, "Would you do this thing? It's parody." Blah blah blah. Absolutely, no problem. This is real. <laughs> like the you, there's nothing. You're not in on the joke. The joke is on you. 
That's exactly what's And to me, it gets to a point where it's like, that's not a joke anymore. You fucking, oh my God. Well, yeah, and you, you you know, the, you were, okay, so I I just saw this story this week. There were this uh, guy was pointing out, basically, he was trying, or whoever wrote the article was trying to point out that, um, we have these loud voices that exist on on the the widest ends of the political spectrum, and they, and they make the most noise, and and uh, the things get uh, you know they they clog up the news cycle because they're they're you know they're they're just the loudest, the smallest, but the loudest, which is which is odd. And he was he uh, he quoted the, the Harris poll. I'm not sure which year this was, but um, they have looking at the demographics of the United States, uh, and he said I think it was 24 percent of the United States calls themselves uh, Republicans uh, or, or thereabouts. And um, about 31% of the United States, I always thought it was closer to 50-50, but um, actually 31% nationally are uh, Democrats or, or uh, you know, liberals. So you got 24 and 31. And the point he was making, though, more than that was, uh, even though there are um, pretty much uh, there's there's more Democrats than Republicans. But um, the point he was trying to make was that um, if you do the math there, uh, that's, uh, you know, 24 and 31, that's 55. So you have 45% of the country, 45 is significantly bigger than either one of those two groups. Um, so you got 45% of the country is basically either it calls himself independent or undecided or, or they just don't give a fuck. They, they, you know, they just really don't give a fuck. So the, the, the biggest chunk of our country just is, is, uh, not a part of either one of those camps. And nonetheless, uh, we've got the if you if you look at those two parties, the the, the loud voices, the whoever those are, the uh, AOCs, the the you know the the squad, the whatever on the right side, whatever they're doing, I don't, I don't know who the loud make, you know, noisemakers are over there, but um, you know, these people are the ones that are that are squawking. You know, I guess it's probably on the right. It's it's just Trump by himself <laughs> does you know enough of a job of uh, saying crazy things, and uh, so then they start yelling at each other back and forth, and we get we get all this bullshit going on, all these all this uh, I don't know we're just getting our brains clogged with things that don't matter just you know because most people aren't even concerned they're not in in that way of thinking and then I think it clouds up uh, thinking when people get to the I I can't shake I I heard this quote from Sam Harris uh, about the his 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 theory on the last election was he said people didn't vote for Trump so much because they were voting for Trump in so much as they were just uh, they looked mm-hmm. at Hillary and they thought you know there's Hillary there's Trump I'd rather just put a stick in the gear to see what happens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just fuck with things just sure just, sure you know I'll I'll burn right. it down to see what's right. left <laughs> yeah and you know I I don't necessarily believe that all of the Republicans were Trump people like in terms of that at all it was more a matter of like well of the options i'm voting uh along party lines but he was not my guy and my thing but in some ways he's been bad for the party in other ways he's been good for their party right so you know who knows where it will land after it's all over but he and it wasn't a lesser of i think it was more of the establishment versus an outsider you know i mean ross perot wasn't the guy you know like the independents that have run in the past like it's not viable but i think we just shifted so much and then i think there was so much hatred and resentment from the other side from the republicans over um obama 
And, you know, even if Obama may be a lot more moderate than the newer breed of these younger sort of quote unquote socialists, you know, the whether it's Bernie as the patriarchal socialist, um, right, wealthy socialist, and then the AOCs down there in terms of the newer ones, the ones that need to go back to their fucking countries is what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying is that, <laughs> listen to me, there's the, the guy, three out of four of these socialists are from this country, but they need to go back a generation <laughs> and go back to their countries is what I'm saying. And that's not racist. It's not racist. It's just a fact, okay? Because they need perspective and they don't know how good they have it here, okay? America was okay then. It's great now. So, Fuck you. Go back. Hey, you. <laughs> you, know, you know what strikes me about that whole thing? That was What's that? Okay. So he, okay. And I don't know if Trump's a racist. I, he probably is. He probably <laughs> I have no is. idea. I, I, I don't really, I don't really, don't really care, quite, quite frankly. You know, other than the fact that he's the president, we, you know, we knew what we, we knew what Trump was going into this, I think. And uh, uh -huh. none, nonetheless, people did put, put the stick in the gears. So uh, anyway, so uh, that, that whole thing, if you don't like it here, leave. Um, it, <sighs> it, it, okay. But okay. I mean, I've heard that a million times in my life. I've heard that I've heard that that said, you know, by many people, many places, many times, you know, um, and perhaps that's old school thinking. But I can tell you this: um, what the first thing that popped into my mind when I heard it was, if you go back to, and this is uh, um, strange, but be, being from Iowa, uh, it really it really stuck in my head because in 2004, Iowa played in the Orange Bowl. And uh, the University of mm -hmm, Iowa, they mm -hmm. played in the Orange Bowl versus mm -hmm, I think it was Georgia mm -hmm. Tech. And after the game, they had this stupid sports reporter that was trying to get uh, the, he had his microphone in in the mm -hmm. face of the Iowa quarterback mm -hmm. uh, at the time. What's and, that kid's name again? Um, well, I looked it up. You tweeted about it. Yeah, but yeah. I tweeted about it. I, I, give me a second. I'll mm -hmm. think of it. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so you know, he was asking us, like, trying to trying to get him to say something like patriotic or something about America or mm -hmm, something. Mm -hmm. And this guy said, it was almost like a Trump quote verbatim. He said, he said, mumble something about America, love it or leave it. You know, it's one of those kind mm -hmm. of things. And uh, it was just and for like during this short news cycle of you know a bowl game thing and. Um, you know, America in in America. You know, this was a short-lived thing, but he they, this got bigger than sports for a little bit. They, they there was news outlets that were playing this little clip over and over, and everybody was laughing about it. Everybody thought it was funny that you know America love it or leave it. Um, and uh, around he it turned into a meme, and around Iowa you saw it a lot. This America love it or leave it thing. Um, and I, I can retweet it again. I'm trying to remember the quarterback. No, so. I, I'm looking for it. Did you qu do it from the Unbecoming of Age, or did you do it for, as Colin Flynn? Uh, unbecoming of Age. I, I tweet. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, no, no. That's Ricky Stanzi. Ricky Stanzi. That's the guy. Stanzi. That healed America. Donald yeah. Trump must have. So yeah, that was the, that was the headline. You posted. What was the uh, Ricky Stanzi speech that healed America. Donald Trump must have been taking notes. Nobody thought it was racist in 2010. That's what you, uh, now I don't know which part of that you yes. wrote. And there's the quote. So, right, right. So I'll let you finish because I have but, thoughts on this. Because after you posted anyway. it, I looked into it and I started reading about it. So, so he says ahead. this and, and there was never anybody said anything about any this something like that sounding racist. I've heard it. Uh, the, the, okay. the, you know, if you don't like it, here leave i've heard people use that phrase sure. a lot, and nobody said it was racist I, I do think that when trump and now the latest thing with trump and i'm going to add this to just as, as, mm -hmm. as, as this this okay the thing with baltimore and he called baltimore shit rat infested shit yeah or i saw that. Like I, that. I, I heard and, it. and now I heard that's that racist story. um okay, okay. 
Is Trump a racist? He could be. Uh, is the calling Baltimore a rat-infested place? Is that racist, really? Uh, you know, I think he could say, I don't like your socks. Racist. I think he could say, No, no, I mean, listen, protein. to a certain degree, yes. <laughs> However, here's the thing. It's not that I won't support something that he said if I look at all the sides and say it. Here's the difference, and here's what I think the difference is. And right, I, When right. you posted this, I looked at this Ricky Stanzi guy, whatever. I looked at the whole thing. Here's this young guy. He was interviewed about it. And it was just sort of one of these things. It's like he and his friends say it wherever they grew up, whatever. He's a quarterback. On a, on a college team and he wins a bowl game cool and it was just one of those moments and he's in the heat of the awesome and he's just like lover and he didn't he didn't say specifically about anyone Trump is the president of the United States of America okay he is now using Twitter to specifically call out four junior congresswomen right right is yeah. that right four of them all persons of color and female young as socialists and now to make the point about perspective that they should go back to their country and even if he didn't say go back to your country he didn't say love it or leave it he is singling these people out of course it's it's political of course he's yeah, doing it to it promote is, himself and he's reaching a base so that's the difference to me is that he's specifically calling out things about their political views and doing this and if you don't know into well you don't know and don't care the perception of that being taken as racist and you hang when his listen again i didn't watch the whole interview that they did was it uh, hbo cbs with the fucking guy with his son-in-law uh, Jared Kushner. Yeah, right. I'm and, sure and I, did. I, I don't know who no. interviewed him, but it was just this weird moment of him just getting the 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 um, reporter asking if his father was a racist. I can't remember specifics about it. And it was this weird moment of him getting caught up and not wanting to answer it. It's like, why did he even go on camera? Why is he even doing this interview? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. like considering the flack that he's gotten. Yeah. You know, as an advisor to the president. And just sort of being in this spot of like, you know, you don't want to say yes, you don't want to say no, you don't want to say anything. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. that moment of like, oh shit, like, 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 what is it? You, because he, listen, any, any reporter, I think any reporter on any side, whether they have an agenda or not, if they have a moment to interview something like that, we'd love to get that moment. We'd love to get that and catch someone because it will, everyone will see it because it's going to get picked up. It's yeah. going to get picked up. I might get picked up by Fox and this. I think there's a difference. And 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 the love it or leave it thing, it's like, it's so stupid to me. I look at it this way. It's like love it or leave it, the chant of USA, USA. Right. It gets to that point where, okay, Trump said this thing. And even if he's not racist and doesn't believe that thing, he's using Twitter for these like little fucking diatribes, manifestos, whatever the fuck he's doing. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. and then he goes and does a rally and they you get a quote, not that he's responsible or started it. Send them back, send them back. And and the difference is is that here, McCain, McCain when running against um Obama and he there was a thing where some woman asked a question and she got up there and said about Obama being a Muslim and not from this country and this that and what did what did McCain say? He stopped and he and he said, "I know Senator Obama. He's a good man. We just have differences in our." And he didn't feed into that in any way. Yes. Trump says, "I t I stopped. I slowed down. I didn't bullshit. You didn't do a damn thing. You didn't stop that. You encouraged it." And that's my problem with w what I perceive him. I'm not going to call him a racist or this, but that's my fucking problem. Is that not just because of the office of the president. Yeah, you can say this is bullshit, that bullshit, whatever. America is a great country in a lot of ways. But that kind of thing, I think you know what you're doing. 
and we can do better than that. Well, I think you, what you just said, the office, the office of the presidency, is uh, that is enough to not not do the stupid, you know, get in these. There's this whole you know thing that he's doing with the get fighting with whoever, right. whenever, uh, and trying to throw out these barbs. Yeah, is yeah. is unpresidential in my opinion. I don't think I, the president look, should be fucking doing that kind of stuff. Look, and listen, and and when look, even if there are policies that the Obama administration or prior administrations had, uh, whether it was on immigration, whether it's Clinton saying it or Obama saying it and this and this and it being it being bad before. If you want, like a friend of mine, someone from high school posted, it's all he does, he posts this shit that's going against, you know, the Democrats, the socialists and anything to support Trump almost blindly or like oh, yeah, say against this. Yeah. And, and, and that's fine, whatever. But he posted this thing with thing. And here is... Um, Obama talking to the press and talking about immigration and we can't let everyone in, blah, blah, blah. But the way he is saying it is very different from the way that Trump is saying it. You know what I mean? And so maybe the message is similar or the same, but for he, Trump, keeps doing this thing where he talks about people of color, whether they're Mexicans or drug dealers. They're, oh, he's almost making absolutes or it's like a, with a wink and a nudge of some sort that really really just and and maybe it's better that all this shit has come up because it's been here all the time it's fucked up to me it so really he, is if he's gonna say something bad about baltimore then instead of saying it uh, to the black guy he could have said i've watched the wire and uh, that mcnulty guy that but <laughs> that white mcnulty guy in the in the wire he lives in a real shithole town <laughs> There's rats well, no, listen, everywhere. But, but like, I, again, <laughs> I didn't, I heard, I heard the, I think it was the mayor of Baltimore talking yeah. about it. And, and my issue there is like, okay, rather than talk about, like, I don't know what the question was and why he started talking about Baltimore being a shit town. Like, and I didn't want to even research it. But my thing is like, okay, what was the situation? Who asked him? What was the context? And why did he say that? And reason, if yeah, there yeah. are challenges, right. So if there are challenges, here's this city that has had, you know, has had a, had a history and it is where it is today. What, as president, can you do to try to make that city better? What kind of change without getting into, rather than pointing out the negative and this is shit, what can we do? It's right outside of D.C. You know what I'm saying? Like, shouldn't D.C. and Baltimore be better without totally forget gentrification it's like how can we lift up people in these communities right? yeah. because baltimore has a big issue with money and funds for businesses and local owned businesses and apparently um like under armor really took advantage of this it's a real slippery slope thing mm -hmm. uh, i can't remember the the name of the program i think it started under reagan um i, I wish i knew more i sometimes i don't retain a lot of the information but it's real fascinating and there are some companies that are really taking advantage of it and really the intent is is to really to have like these you know local owned businesses you know minority owned businesses to put back into the community because that's the way this will change without having to make it all about gentrification and then a bunch of white people come in and then the people that are poor are stay poor again it's not like a handout it's sort of like a you know a hand up you know like into a certain degree do you know what i mean for the right people. I, I do yeah i do um, you know and it's not like a it's not like a welfare program government program it's like okay we can feed money back into this economy and help people because most of those people aren't bad, but yes, drugs are a problem. A liquor store in every corner is a problem. 
right? Like, but a taco a fucking, stand is a good thing. <laughs> whatever, a taco stand. I say, uh, yeah. I say that seriously. I wish I had a right, taco no, stand. A taco stand <laughs> would be a great thing. Let's if we're going to bring Mexicans over here, let's bring the ones that own these fucking taco trucks. Taco okay, trucks. I want to bring truck. them all over the country. If I can walk outside right, right now and there's a yeah. taco truck at the end of the block. Yeah. I would be a happy yeah. fucker. <laughs> well, but here's the challenge: if we to, if we give a hand up to like taco trucks and food truck culture, it's only going to be a bunch of white hipsters coming to this area. <laughs> you know, and me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. Let's let Mr. Big Voice take us out. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Unbecoming of Age. Bonus content at unbecomingofage.com. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Find us on social media at Unbecoming of Age. And sometimes when we touch.